Hey, thank you for joining me today on Hope for Heroes Texas. This is Brad Cornell, where we serve those who serve us as they carry the weight of the badge. It's gonna be a long one, another graveyard shift. Well, folks, doggone it, here you are again at Hope for Heroes. Man, am I excited. This is the podcast, of course, with a weight of the badge. And I had, oh, I am so in such a treat today for you folks because it's not just one uh, hero. I've got two heroes with me. Which, they're just amazing guys, you know, and the weight of the badge, that's what it's all about. And if you go to Hope for Heroes, TX.org, and check out what we do. You know, our first responders are so important, and it's just amazing what they do. And we've been talking about mental health, and I've got some incredible guest on with me today and they came from san antonio and uh, michael morado he was on last time if you if you remember the podcast where i had three first responder heroes on ken cassidy out of austin texas and doug green out of san antonio then mike morado oh my gosh what a blessing he was and uh you know we want to talk about mental health and then he brought up a guy that's just amazing just a little bit of time i got to talk with him how the lord has touched um it's 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 hard. This is a hard one, folks, because we don't realize what they go through. And I don't know the whole story yet, but we're going to hear it today. And it's uh, it's really amazing. You know, we sit here and talk about what it's like when there's death involved in a in a hero's life and how they deal with it. And without Jesus involved, you can't really deal with it. But Julio Cavazos is with us today, and I'm so excited to hear his story. And it was a blessing that he chose to came up, come up and, and exciting. That I'm just really excited he chose to come on the podcast because, you know, a lot of times they don't want to talk about it because they're such heroes. They're very private, but this is a huge deal. So I'm really excited to have him here because he will touch lives just by his story. And of course, Michael, he's a blessing to the max. And we're going to talk about mental health and we're going to talk about some things that are you know really serious. But again, when you have Jesus involved in your life and you know him, everything is easier. It's lighter. The load, he says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Even though we put the burden on ourselves, we needed to give it all to him. He knew it was going to happen a thousand years ago. And um, that's really what it's all about. But if you need to come to a hope, you do need to come to a hope for heroes, Bernie, Texas. You got to get the 15th. I've got one. The 15th is coming up Saturday morning, 930 free tacos, free breakfast uh, tacos and coffee. And you're going to see something you will not believe. So come to the Bevy Hotel, Bernie, Texas at 930. Officers get there and their families around 10 and uh, they don't know that you know that they're coming. So you just need to be there. So will you please help me welcome to the program today? Michael Morata. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, Brad. Thank you for having me on again, man. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for being here. And Julio Cavazos, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me here. Ah, man. Thank you for coming up. Well, hey, I'm excited about talking about mental health and uh, and hearing your story, Julio. And um, I think what we should probably do is let's, let me hear your, let's talk about your story. Let's, let's hear your story because I know it's a, it's, um, it's a heavy one. And so why don't we, if you don't mind, why don't you just share that story with us and then we'll talk about mental health. And you, of course, there's no rules here. Um, I want to say again, George Strait, thank you for the song, The Weight of the Badge, because the weight is heavy, even though we don't realize it. And so um, we have such honor, the heroes, every one of you guys, Julio and Michael, what you guys do, you are heroes. You know, we sit back as a public and uh, think it's no big deal till we have to call 911. And I hear it's taken Austin now 18 minutes to answer the phone. Well, a lot can happen in 18 minutes. So hopefully, folks, this country will start getting their head in the right place and start honoring our heroes so it go back to where we used to be. But, Julio, without further ado, just give us your story and whatever you'd like to say, sir. Absolutely. So um, I, I 
I've been on the department now for about 14 years. I graduated in 2008. And uh, when I was in the police academy, we have our senior class or junior class, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, my junior classmate was um, my future partner, which is Miguel Moreno. And uh, it's funny because we went to high school together too. We grew up on the shallow west side of San Antonio. So we grew up in the same neighborhood, uh, went to the same schools, um, and by chance ended up in the same department, in the same unit, uh, in the, the central service area, working where we grew up. And uh, on June 29, 2017, um, we were uh, working directed patrol, which is uh, we go out and we actively look for problems uh, instead of just answering the radio, answering calls. Uh, uh, and our lieutenant at the time wanted, wanted us to go out and find car burglars. And uh, that's pretty much what we did. And the next day was uh, June 30th was going to be my daughter's birthday. So, you know, being on the department, just enough time to know that if I got a good case that we'd probably go home early, my mind was somewhere else. Um, so we get on director patrol and I remember Miguel telling me he wanted to go to a certain area of the city because director patrol, you can go wherever you want as long as you're in, within their, your service area. Mm -hmm. You're not bound by a district or a square or, you know, a beat. And, uh, I told I told him, okay, well, let, let, let's go. And uh, we head out to the area that he wanted to go to. We made three good stops and none of them were arrest. Uh, on any other day, they probably would have been. And uh, it, they weren't. And I told him, let's go to my old district, my old square. And uh, let, we'll get a case there. We'll get a case and then we'll eat and then we'll go home. And we'll, we'll try to get out early. And he was like, okay, you know, it's kind of early or, you know, he was, I don't think that's, I think it's too early. And I said, nah, let's go. Let's go get a case and we'll eat. And uh, so we took off and uh, we come to San Pedro and Evergreen and uh, we make a ride. There's a Bill Miller there. And I see these two guys, something that just didn't seem right. And uh, I, I've always been an advocate of just saying, trust your gut. You know, like if something seems wrong, you know, just kind of take a look, take a step back, look at it. And uh, so I told Miguel, hold on, hold on, hold on. And in the video you see as we back up. And so he pulls the car back and we wait and I activate my body camera and we have all the cameras going and they walk away and they're keep looking back at us. We pull forward and we see this car in the windows. That, like it looks like it's been broken into the car looks like it was they broke into the car mm -hmm. uh so i walk up to the window and i'm narrating narrating to my camera and i'm saying hey look the, all, the window's obviously gone uh it looks like the car's been rummaged through uh let's at least talk to him uh so i get back in the car and uh miguel's like hey they're, they're still walking this this direction uh eastbound and I said, okay, I said, Let, let's roll up on them. But we usually try to give them a little bit. I've been accord enough to know that, you know, you just can't be like, hey, did you get in that car? You know, you're probably not going to get that. But, you know, minor, minor violation. They cross at a point other than a crosswalk, I guess, effectively called, most people call it jaywalking. So I said, well, there's my stop. Uh, so we roll up on them and there's two of them. And obviously my partner and I, and uh, he gets out of the car and I get out of the car and I knew I had the, one suspect and my partner had the other. So as I'm walking up to him, um, he turns around and he puts a 38 uh, around into my, 
into my chin and uh, and drops me. Ooh. And uh, his second shot, which I think it was his second shot, he turns to the right and he shoots Miguel and uh, not to be too graphic, but the round entered just above his left ear and exited on the other side of his head mm. and dropped him. Um, I was I was on the ground and I remember grabbing my, my service pistol and squeezing the trigger and it wouldn't go bang. And I had a malfunction. So I racked the slide. I stood up and by this time he's running and the opposite direction from which we came. So he's running towards the tail end of our vehicle and uh, he's running and I stood up. I took a, a strong uh, shooting stance and I fired at him. And uh, a lot of people asked me what I was thinking. Uh, and I wasn't really thinking of anything, but I do remember thinking clearly, please God, let me hit him. And it took me seven rounds and I dropped him. And uh, he went over and, and uh, I, I, I dropped my mag because I was pushing on him after he fell. I continued to push on him and uh, he fired off another round. So I didn't know how many rounds I had left. So I had dropped the my primary magazine. I had grabbed my second secondary magazine. And when he fired, I startled fired. So it fired the, the round that was in the chamber, but it didn't pick up my other mag. So I thought I had another malfunction. So I dropped a full mag on the floor. I grabbed my, my third mag, took a step back, took a kneel, uh, racked it. Um, I stood back up and I fired another round at him. Um, while he was downed, uh, the, uh, the shooter got his last round. He had five rounds and he hit pretty much all of them. Uh, he put the last round into his, to his head and he killed himself. Mm. Um, I kept pushing and that's the first time that I looked to my right and I thought for sure Miguel would be standing there, you know, in shooting position or, uh, I just, I don't know what I expected. I, that's what I expected to see. And I saw him that he was uh, face down on the, um, <clears throat> between the car and the, uh, the door. And, uh, I walk over to him and I'm trying to key up on the radio, but I, the round that went in through my, into my chin, it shot down my throat and it turned around and it punctured my lungs. So I was keying up on the radio, but nothing was coming out. Like I had no uh -huh. voice. And um, I was slamming the radio. I remember thinking to myself, like, and I was saying Mo, Mo, because I called Miguel Mo. And uh, um, so I knew the the bad guy was still downrange. Um, and I hadn't really thought about the second guy because there was two. So I grabbed Miguel and uh, I drug him to the front of the car away. And I rolled him over. And then I realized that I had left my service weapon back where Miguel had went down. So I go and I grab my service weapon. I come back and, uh, you know, Miguel's, I knew where he had been shot. Yeah. I've seen enough in my career to um, know. And uh, I took off his, uh, I unbuttoned his shirt and I started trying to take off his vest and, um, I kind of rolled it up behind him and then some citizen came down, a random citizen came down and he, you know, I, I wish that I knew who he was to tell him, thank you. 
uh, was the first person I seen just some random just, person off the street. And they asked, are you okay? And I said, I shook my head, no. And uh, he asked me, are you hit? And I shook my head, yes. And then, uh, so he's on the phone with 911 and he tells them, uh, I have two officers down, there's blood everywhere. Moreno's down and Cavazos is going down. So um, I just rolled over and I laid there. And wow, Julio. Oh my gosh, brother. That's rough stuff right there, man. And uh, wow. Praise the Lord. You you made it. I mean, how yeah, it's just instinct, I guess, all the action you took with such a wound yourself. Mm. It's just, oh man. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people ask me uh uh, I, I've talked to several classes and cadet classes and I, I've told the story a couple of times, you know, and it never gets easy. And, uh, but it doesn't come down to that. I rose to an occasion or that anybody is out. You honestly, you just follow your training. It's, I mean, it's just your instinct of, mm-hmm. of just, just here you are shot and in your throat. You're and you just, you just go. I mean, just, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, I know I couldn't breathe. Um, it was, I was essentially drowning. My lungs had filled up with blood and, uh, uh, EMS was able to get there. And one of the first officers on scene, uh, was a detective, uh, who is now a Sergeant. Um, his name's, uh, Ro Romero. And the interesting thing is that he went to high school with both of us. Oh, really? So he knew us both by name. And I was telling him, help me, Romy, help me. And uh, I feel I feel bad to this day because I asked him to help me. And then he came to try to touch me and I was somewhere else. So I told him, get away from me. Just get away from me. And I, I, I wasn't making much sense. Well, my word, Julio. We love you, brother. Thank Jesus you. loves you and so do we, man. And I, I know how's this, uh, you know, you speak, you say, you know, you speak to other cadet classes mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. Um, how, what is your message? So my message is when I, when I was in the hospital and I was at, they took me to Samsi and great people there. I could look out my window and for some reason I thought to myself, I don't want anybody to forget Miguel's name. Um, I want people to learn from this, whether it's good or bad, whether they thought we did something really good or whether we did everything bad. I want, there has to be a lesson here learned. Yes. And then the final thing that I promised is I said, wherever they bury you on this green earth, I'm going to walk on the day of on June 29th. I'm going to walk from where you went down to your grave. And I've done that every year. Wow. That's, that's an honor for him. Does he have his, does he have a family? Yes. Yes. His, uh, he has a brother, um, three sisters, his parents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have a family? Are you? you I'm married, and I have a I have a ten year old daughter. Oh, okay. So this last five years obviously has been challenging. It seems like yesterday, probably absolutely in so many ways, huh? So have you found your strength? Where do you find your strength? Do you find it in the Lord now? Do you find it in your friendships with people like Michael and and sharing your story and helping other cadets know that? I mean, sounds like the actions you took were just instinct. Nothing could have been any better. I mean, what? what do you do when someone just swings around with you? Who, who would have known? Yeah. I, I still struggle with that quite a bit. I, I, 
I blame myself for what mm. happened. And, and I know that's part of the thing is, you know, I grew up in a household where my dad was a Vietnam veteran and had post-traumatic. It's hard for me. Uh, I, at the time of the shooting and even after I buried Miguel, uh, I, I struggled with my faith quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I well. didn't really, really necessarily believe in anything. Sure. And then uh, I had, I've drunk of Miguel three times since he passed and I wish he'd come see me more, but yeah, uh, yeah. he doesn't. Uh, the first dream that I had of Miguel, he, we were in a uh, office building and I don't even know how public this is. I've kind of just told a counselor. So I think y'all might be some of the first people to hear this. All right. You know, believe it as you want. Of but, course we believe it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you it's know, dream. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's just a very interesting dream. Like I said, I struggled with faith and uh, we were in this felt like this big white office building that was like part medical building part office building and there was a lot of hubbub going on and they had the guy that shot me in a in a gurney and he was strapped down and miguel was there and miguel was sitting in a chair like a waiting chair and i don't remember what was said but i walked over to the guy's gurney and i told him i forgive you wow um you know oh when I uh, when I woke up in the morning, I remember being upset at myself because I thought to myself, "How can I forgive him, even in a dream?" Uh, and I let that pass. And then, uh, short time after that, I had another dream about Miguel, and uh, we were in a uh, bar. We were playing shuffleboard, and uh, we I often went out with Miguel, uh. but we never played shuffleboard or the little where you throw the disc yeah. in the sand. We had never played that before, and we were there, and the bar was empty. It was just us two. And uh, he tells me, uh, he tells me, you need, you need to do what you have to do, and you have to hurry up. You have to hurry up and do what you have to do. You're running out of time. And I didn't understand. And he said, we both died that day. He goes, but you have to finish what you're supposed to do before you get to leave. And uh, again, I at the time I didn't believe. And, um, you know, when I woke up, I, I thought, well, I have to do something and, and what that is, I don't know. And I kind of started, uh, I, when I picked a copy of a uh, King James version uh -huh. and, you know, I'm, I still don't cons consider myself worthy or, or a strong man of God, but I, I'm trying to understand, uh, yeah. what I'm supposed to do before I get to, finish whatever I'm supposed to finish. Cause I don't think it was an accident that he came and told me that. No, probably not. And this is part of that. I'm sure. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Miguel would have blamed you? No. Would, would you have blamed him if it was the other way around? No. Well, that's what you got. That's what you got to lean on brother. I mean, God doesn't blame you either. <laughs> and you know, your faith, you helping other people understand that. Cause I'm sure there's other guys in the in law enforcement has been through what you've been through. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, you're blessed to have someone like Michael here and people on your team that, you know, don't, that don't blame you and your, your testimony. You can feel your heart, brother. It's strong, man. I'm just, uh, we thank God you're here with us. I appreciate it. I know you. it's hard, man. I mean, it's gotta be, I honestly, I know it's hard. I shouldn't say that because I don't know how hard it is, but man, you can feel your heart 
and he God's got you here for a reason. He left, you know, if he'd have taken both of you that day, there'd be somebody would be missing, and you've got a, a wife and a daughter. Lord and a, knows it ain't know. no easy task keeping us safe under the weight of the bag. Folks, if you haven't been to a Hope for Heroes greeting, you're probably wondering what it's all about. What we do is get an officer and their family from around the state of Texas. They come into town. They have a free room here at the Bevy Hotel. They know they're getting that, and they're going to get a gift card for the town. They pull in, but they have no idea when they pull up to the front lobby that inside that lobby is a ton of people just waiting for them. The reason is, is we care so much about what our heroes do and how special they are that when they walk in that lobby, oh my word, they get blasted with how much we love them, how special they are. And of course, the people that are showing up, they show up at 9.30 in the morning, get some breakfast tacos and some coffee and just fellowship until the officers get there. And it's an experience that you're not going to want to miss. Let's get back to our hero carrying the weight of the badge. Kids praying by his bed. He said, I'm gonna be so, you know, it is mental health and how we deal with it. Michael Morata, you know, that's what you do with the, with the uh, I know, with the SAPD. So correct. tell us about how, here you go. Tell me how you deal with this, with mental health, with our officers. Yeah, so uh, interesting, Julio um, texted me yesterday about something else and... Uh, yeah, it was really awesome. I just felt like Julio needs to be here today. And so here he is and shared that super powerful story. But yeah, he brings up um, some good points, you know, officer mental health and the struggle. And you could hear Julio fighting back those tears. Yes. And I think um, listening to that, it kind of speaks to what we do as police officers. We kind of hold it back. We're trying to fight against um, the stigma of hurt, of hurt, of yeah. you know being perceived as weak. Um, and so, me, I'm the full time wellness officer for the San Antonio Police Department. Um, kind of a an interesting niche that I carved for myself. Um, you know, a couple of podcasts back when we recorded, I talked a little bit about that and how my life took a pretty big uh, crash and. I found myself asking a lot of tough questions and then I found myself doing this kind of work um, with wellness and I started to share my story because I think every time you share your story like you just did, Julio, you get out under from under the shame, you get out from under the guilt um, of, you know, what what if what I was involved in was wrong and the answer is always no, we're human beings. Yes. Um, and so I started sharing my story. And officers were coming up and they were wanting to know more. And they wanted to share with me their own personal struggles. And I held space for that because that's what this is about. Like a brother officer holding space for other officers to share their hurt. And I became that guy. Uh, people go come to me and they want to unburden. And I allow that. Um, and I listen. And I said, okay, there, there's a need here. So how are we going to, as a department, um, begin to tackle that need? I mean, Brad, we talked about it before the podcast started. Um, in Already in 2022, we have five um, officer suicides on the books. Mm. In six days of 2022, we already have five. Um, I pulled up the numbers here because I just want to give a frame of reference. Um, if you look at the officer stats, so in 2021 reported suicides and these are from blue help that is the um 
the organization that tracks officer suicides. We had 167 completed suicides oh, in 2021. Lord. 2020 ended with 185. 2019 uh, ended with 247 completed suicides. Uh, 2018, 187. And in 2017, 183. So we are very much still in the fight. Um, 2021 um, was two of our officers, brother officers that that died from suicide. Um, and what I do know is struggles of mental health uh, don't discriminate age. If you look at years in service for average years of service for all officer suicides, it's um, 16 and a half years roughly. Oh, really? So, yeah. So when I look at that, that tells me, you know, mental health and and stigma and struggle is not an old officer problem and it's not a young officer problem. It's all of our problem. Yes. Um, it doesn't discriminate rank. Um, if you look, supervisors are, are committing suicide um, at equal rates as boots on the ground as the patrol officers. Um, so rank, age, race, uh, sexual orientation has no effect here. Um, to me, it comes down to stigma and being able to talk about it. So for me, that's like, that was my number one mission is, man, we need to get guys to talk. Yeah. Get them to the, before they get to that point of suicide to reach out before, because guys, because you guys are just known to be tough. I mean, absolutely. Buck up, big dog. You're the police. Yeah. And, and it if, doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And when you think, when you think of wellness and, and you think of resiliency, um, and if you look at, you know, there's varying definitions, but, you know, resiliency is like the capacity to recover quickly. Um, some would say toughness. You know, but when you think in terms of toughness in law enforcement, what do people think of? They think of the guy who, uh, stoic, who, you know, the big, strong guy in his uniform shows no emotion. Um, and I challenge that notion because I don't think that not being able to share makes you tough. Yeah, that's I true. think it's opposite. I think when you're able to show genuine emotion around a situation or when you're able to reach out and say, hey, I'm struggling with this thing. I think that makes you the toughest guy in the room. Yes, and we, for sure. And we've got to flip the narrative of, um, well, if you don't talk about it, somehow that makes you better um, equipped to handle things. No, we need to hold space for everybody to be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, this job over you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 years is going to affect everybody differently on some level. Um, and so that's, that's what I'm doing. So, um, we uh, have a, a peer support team with the department that we kind of took the old peer support. Uh, we revamped it with the help of, um, one of our newer psychologists. Uh, we have an onboarding process and interview process. So that's really exciting. Um, we are, uh, currently trying to, um, put in place a procedure for critical incident stress debriefs because I think that's a really wonderful opportunity to be able to um, capture people and talk about, hey, look, you were just involved in this highly traumatic event and these are going to be some of your reactions. You're going to have intrusive thoughts. You're going to have nightmares. 
let's talk about it. Let's normalize it. And it's important to get people with the commonality of being involved in the situation to to talk. So that's going to be our next big project. And I'm really excited about that. Um, so we're, we're going to build out a team uh, and then hopefully be able to integrate that in the department and in the shifts. And then, um, you know, be able to identify what situations are going to require that critical incident stress debrief. Because I've been to the training and I've uh, participated in a couple of debriefs myself. And I have yet to go to one that didn't have a huge impact. Um, you know, folks being able to emote and share emotion together and cry and laugh together. Um, yeah. yeah, it was an awesome, awesome thing. How do you get officers? How do you, the one thing I've learned um, doing what I'm doing now, of course, with Hope for Heroes is realizing the one thing every time I ask officers, what do you want most people to know about an officer is that they're real people. We're just real yeah. people doing an amazing, a different job. But, you know, I think that we forget that. Well, how do you get what do you do to get the officer that might be thinking about suicide that you have no idea he's Mr. Happy-go-lucky? And those are the guys, you know, you never go, oh, I knew he was going to commit suicide. You always go, there's no way I thought he would do that. Yeah. So how do you, how does that mental health work to where, is it just the awareness that they're, they can talk or do you have a certain? Yes. So I, I love that question, Brad, because that goes back to the word I just said. And I know Sheriff Oxier um, talked about it la last week as well. Stigma. Yeah. Stigma. Uh, how do you create a situation within your own respective department um, where guys are comfortable coming forward and talking? Yes. Because you're going to have some guys, they're just, just who they are. Um, they're not going to want to talk. Um, so, but how do you plant the seed to know that there's hope? You know, that there's hope because that's what suicide comes down to is uh, lack of acceptance, lack of hope. You've lost all that. Yeah, when you have so, no hope. You've lost you've everything. You've lost it. Absolutely. Yeah. So for me, it's it's being uh, like I was at roll call training every, or not roll call training, I misspoke, in-service training uh, every week for the last two years. And I was up presenting to the guys talking about wellness, talking about resiliency, talking about officer suicides, real things, talking about PTSD, talking about depression and anxiety. These are things that are affecting us, which by the way, just to kind of um, go off on a tangent a little bit, if you look at rates of PTSD within police departments, I think the statistic that I last saw was 7 to 35% of a given police department is struggling with PTSD. And I said, seven to 35%. Well, that's a pretty big spread. And I'll tell you why that spread is there. It's because one, this is not something that's been um, really studied, believe it or not, uh, effectively in the last 15, 20 years. But more than that, it's guys don't want to talk about it. Yeah. So you're going to have guys that in some departments, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I struggle with this and, uh, and that. And then in the next department, like, no, everything's good here. That's a big spread That's there. Big spread. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, being at in-service training and being able to talk, that was what has created this. And that's what I think will ultimately, because um, my goal is to go the rest of my career for to never have another officer suicide. Oh, yes. That's, um, that's a great goal. Yeah, absolutely. And how do we get there? 
I think we just have to start the conversation. Do you ever involve the wives to where, hey, if she, if, you know, because a lot of times the wives are the ones that know that, hey, there's a problem here. He looks like, he looks perfect out there, but when he gets home, he ain't perfect. Yeah. But that's, I guess that's kind of a tough one too, because she doesn't want to be the one to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, spill Which, the beans or whatever. Absolutely. And, and it speaks to another point, you know, um, so many officers are married and do have support systems because it takes a village, right? It does. Like I, you can't do this job if you don't have somebody in your corner, uh, a strong spouse, a good friend support network, a strong um, family support network. Yeah. And most officers do. So how do you also bring in the wives? Because I call the wives the superheroes. Oh, because man. if something happens to you, they got to take over, you know? Absolutely. Let me, let me just ask Julio a real quick question. Julio, let me ask you, and, and I'm just asking because I, I don't know you. I just met you, but I look forward to spending a lot of time with you. But did you ever think about suicide after all this? One one time, and it was about uh, a few months ago. Did um, you seek some help? To I did. Uh, I I immediately called a um, a doctor. And, oh, and good. I I I recognized. You know, one of the one of the first things that we do as a department once we're involved in a shooting or a critical incident is that they come and talk to you. And first, I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but I remember thinking to myself, why is everybody asking me, are you okay? Do you want to hurt yourself? And I was like, it felt more like an interview or an interrogation. Um, and I genuinely never thought that I would have this, yeah. this absolute feeling of dread of where I was going to. You know, I hope you don't mind me asking you that question. No, no, no. Okay. No, not at all. I just, I, I just never thought that I would fall to that point. You know, I knew I was hurting and I knew I missed Miguel, but I never thought that I would think about putting the duty end of my pistol in, yeah. in the appropriate direction and, you know, no longer being here. I never thought I would do it. And it was a flash in the pan thought. And uh, I didn't even question it. I just thought that, the only, actually, the only thought in my head was, where would it be less messy? Um, and then I kind of snapped out of it, and it was done. And I said, I need to, I need to talk to somebody. Yeah, well, you know that right there's a great message for a lot of people. Because mm -hmm. sometimes you get that quick, that quick, uh, that little just quick thought, and you go no, but then it comes back and it comes back and it comes back. I mean, you would know that. Probably yeah, absolutely. And that brings another good point is what they're finding with officer suicides. First off, like uh, off right now, one in 12 officers are seriously contemplating suicide. Really? One um, in 12? Yeah. One in 12 officers are seriously contemplating suicide. And that statistic is from Dr. Kevin Gilmartin, uh, who wrote the book, um, Emotional Survival for, um, for Law Enforcement. Mm. Uh, he's wonderful. He and Dr. David Black uh, have done a lot of work in this area and one in 12. And when I heard that, I went, man, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of scary. It is. Um, if you think about it. And also um, for every completed suicide within law enforcement, there's 25 serious attempts. Really? Which is another incredible statistic. And then the other thing that they're finding with law enforcement is that the suicides are incredibly impulsive. They're just just like split second, like we're just going to do this. Um, what they do find with a lot of folks is um, when they're suicide, there's a there's a trail of breadcrumbs. You know, there's they're selling things off. Um, they're writing goodbye letters. Um, they're sending like you know 
these cryptic messages um, to family and friends, like they're leaving signs. Yes. Law enforcement officers are not doing that. Really? They're finding that these guys are doing it and everybody goes, wow, we had no idea. Um, One of our own uh, beautiful Sergeant Omar Amungo, people who knew him, he was our latest suicide. He was trying to get help to his guys. Really? He wanted people, he wanted us and peer support to go help his guys. How do I capture the Omar Amungos of the world? How do I get them to talk? How do I plant that seed? And the sad thing is, is we don't know it. Like the the news or you don't hear anything about a suicide of a police officer. It just kind of goes on untalked about and yeah. just kind of goes goes on which you know that's that's not good i mean we need to know that hey this is this is serious stuff out here because what you guys deal with every day like i said when i ride with officers see what you deal with just i mean it's amazing what you have to do and the yeah. counseling you have to do and the the uh just it, people don't understand that yeah. a real just your regular people doing an irregular job yeah you know i mean it's it's really amazing and being heroes just like just like you, Julio, I mean, you're grabbing your partner, you're pulling him to the car, you're shooting this guy, you've got this terrible injury, and you're just going, man. You ain't thinking about anything except him and taking care of the situation, not you at all. And that's what's amazing, ladies and gentlemen, about officers. They're not thinking about themselves. Otherwise, they'd have found you in the backseat of the car going, I ain't going out there. But that's not how it works. You guys are just incredible what you do. So I just, you know, I mean, I'm so excited, Michael, that you're involved in the mental health and that. Oh, man, I I have learned so much and I'm continuing to learn uh, about this phenomenon of officer suicide. I mean, we are and I know I know we're going to run short on time, Brad. I I love to talk about this stuff, but we are the most highly vetted uh, career field in the nation, arguably. I mean, you go through psyche valves, you go through PT valves, you you go through so many personality evaluations, uh, intellectual exams. I mean, they put you through the ringer. You go to the academy, you're ready. You're primed to be the best of the best. And then you go to the academy. And when you come out, Julio can speak to this. We are the best of the best. And then after that, there's not a whole lot of emphasis on continuing that. Yeah. Um, now the job takes hold. You're working nights. You're isolated from your family. Um, Things get really dark really quick. In fact, just one more statistic, because I love stats. Um, You're at a 50% uh, greater likelihood of developing um, depression and anxiety your first five years than at any other point in your career. Like if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in those first five years. And my law enforcement officers out there listening right now know exactly what I'm talking about. Those first few years hit you really hard. And if those first few years is when you're pulling away from your wife, those first few years are when you're pulling away from the kids and from the people that you were once your friends and now they're not police officers. So you say, you don't understand what it's like. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Uh, And you just become more and more isolated um, and more you find more often than not, you find yourself alone with your thoughts Mm. trying to process. Um, So that's what we're trying to do is, allow uh, that opportunity for officers to process. Well, there needs to be a position, you know, like in the, there needs to be a new position in the police departments where people train to do what you do. Yeah. And, you know, there's one person assigned to every three officers or whatever, just to, cause really it's just about talking. Don't you, I mean, obviously Julio, you feel better. It's sitting here talking with us. I, I, you've got an amazing spirit about you. 
I'll say, I'll say this. Um, when, I remember when I first got in the department, he's not lying. Uh, you become cynical. You don't trust anybody. Everybody's lying to you. Yes. Uh, you, you're not, after about five years, you're not who you were when you first started. Um, you know, again, I grew up in a household where my dad had PTSD. He would clear the house at night, uh, you know, had his gun out. And I thought this was normal growing up. I thought, yeah, well, this is just the way things are. And, you know, it turns out that he needed help and he eventually got it. Um, and then I got on the department and I did to my shooting. It was about eight years, nine years. And I, I, I remember specifically thinking to myself, and this is, this is absolute truth is none of it bothered me. I had seen so many deaths. I had seen so many last breaths. I had heard so many last words and babies. Um, one time I had a, uh, I don't even know if you can cut this out, but I, I, one time I had a baby die in my arms and the baby vomited and I thought the baby was alive. So we followed the EMS, uh, the EMS truck to the hospital and I had the parents in the back. Uh, he was in the pool when I got there. Yeah. I just happened to be driving around the corner and they were coming out of the pool. So I grabbed the baby and I start finger sweeping the mouth, patting him on the back and the baby vomits. And, and, uh, so I thought he's going to be fine. Yeah. We're going to get to the hospital. He's going to be fine. And, uh, we get to the hospital and they go into triage and usually on triage, everybody's working, everybody's hustling and nobody was doing anything. And like that sinking feeling like, Oh, there's something wrong. And the child had passed. And, uh, I looked at my uniform and I had vomit from the baby on my uniform. And I wrote my report and, uh, I got in my car and on to the next call, you know? And for us, it's, I remember thinking to myself, this is weird. Yeah. This is, this is not no time normal. to sit there for a second. And go wait a second. Yeah. And, yeah. and I can't, and you can't because yeah. you leave. And then I, so what my way around it was, I sent my Sergeant a message on the, on the MDT. I don't forget. And I said, Hey, I, I got baby vomit on the baby died. Can I go home and at least take this uniform off? And he was like, absolutely. Um, and he sent me home to go change my uniform. And I, I went home and I was taking this thing off and I didn't give it a second thought. You know, I try to not process it. And I remember vividly thinking, why doesn't this bother me? Like this should eat at me. Like I, that's not normal. It just happened. Yeah. It's not normal. Like, why, why am I, why do I not feel anything? Why am I so cold? And, um, you know, now I find myself in this current situation where Miguel passed and I was shot and it was so close. And like, now I can't shake it. Uh, now all of the previous ones that it, yeah, that happened, it's kind of like, just, it hit me all at once. And, you know, so there's a lot of people that are going to be listening and say, well, I don't have those problems. I don't have those problems where you just don't know. Maybe. You, yeah. No, there'd be a lot of people listening and there's nothing cut out of this program. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Because everything you're saying is true. And there's so many officers out there. I hope you're listening to this that, you know, you might have that same situation where you need to talk to a Michael. You need to get that out because we we want you here no matter what the challenge is. And you need if you need help. And that's what we need because you're right. You know, so many times as a police officer, they're just they're a man of steel. But we forget they're a man of steel and velvet. Yep. And so we don't see the velvet side too often. We see the steel side all the time when you're out. 
But so many times we an officer passes us in an HEB without his uniform on it. We have we would have no we have no effect. I see him in HEB here in Bernie. And I'm like, hey man, how are you? I'm thinking this guy looks just like a regular guy. He's eating some weird stuff, but I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> no, but really, you know, yeah. it's just uh, you guys are just it's your real people doing some amazing things. Yeah. So, man, if there's any way, I I just hope and pray that that uh, you know, of course, Julio, you're going to be what an what amazing man that can help other people Absolutely. realize some of the things you're going through. That because it was so close to home, you know, obviously with you know with uh, Miguel, but. I just, um, I just want us to continue this conversation. Oh, there's a lot more to talk. There's about, a lot right? to talk about, and that's yeah. what Hope for Heroes and and the Weight of the Badge podcast is all about: is having people talk about the weight, because you know if you think about that, that little badge it doesn't weigh much, weighs a whole lot when you put it on, and so you kind of dismiss the real person because they got a badge on, but they're still a real person. If that makes any sense, you know, I don't have to make sense. I can absolutely my it program. Does. <laughs> but still <laughs> it absolutely you know, does it does it's just you know and and I, I can't tell you enough uh you know really julio what a blessing it's been to have you here and i want you up here a lot more i want you to come to a hope for heroes events up here in in uh in bernie because i'd love to have people meet you i think it would be an honor to have you here um when you can come and meet yeah. the folks at the hope for heroes and meet the officers that are coming up from austin and whatever and you have no idea the people you'll touch and um we have a banquet coming. I'd love to have you as a speaker on it and um, some different things because you can save lives. You really can. And I'll tell you a podcast I'd love to have you on. That's Ken Harrison's. Um, yeah. You know, you talk talking nationwide yeah. stuff. And so God's going to use you because he already has on this program. And I do. I want to I want to dedicate this program to Miguel Morado. I mean, this program is dedicated to him. And uh, God Amen. bless you, my friend. Appreciate you for um, you know for being here. Thank you, Michael. We're going to see you again. Oh yeah, I know you got a lot to say, and we're going to continue the conversation. Absolutely. No, Julio being here was a nice surprise for me. There was no way uh, I felt the power of God. Just said, you got to bring this guy along. So I'm glad he was here. Yes, and Thanks. folks, I, I really appreciate you bringing. Continue yeah. to pray for the all of our officers. Continue to pray, of course, you know, for Miguel's family and and um, Michael, of course, what you do, and Julio, what a blessing you being here. So we want to thank you, folks, for listening to another episode of the Hope for Heroes TX um, Way to the Badge. Go to hopeforheroestx.org. Check out the letters on there from our different officers and just what we're doing out there to help the officers and let them know just what heroes they are. So we thank you again for being with us. We'll be back again next week and uh, you can always email me, call me, whatever you need to do, but just realize what a blessing these heroes are and what they do every day and they're everyday people just like everybody else until they put the badge on and the weight sometimes can be more than we even have a clue about, okay? That's why we need to show them some love, show them that we care and uh, not be critical about what they do. They've got a plan and it always seems to go the right way. So God bless you. Thank you for listening again to Hope for Heroes TX, the weight of the badge. Hey, so glad you joined me today. Now you're going to want to follow us because we've got some upcoming episodes that you're not going to want to miss. See you then. Of the badge.